0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Action Replay here on dcu And look, we got a lovely new graphic. Isn't that beautiful? But we're still on the same Twitter and Instagram. We're at DCUFM Sport. Sean Breslin is still here, and I think Sean Crosby is still here. Sean Crosby, are you there? I am indeed. Uh, good to hear from you again. So plenty to talk about, as usual. And we're going to start with the GAA now. Before we got ruined by shaky internet last week that forced us to abandon the show, we were previewing Dublin versus Cavan and Mayo versus Tipperary, and we were very worried about how badly Dublin were going to beat Cavan, Um, and Mayo and Tip could have been a fairly close game, but it turns out the opposite of both those things happened, although it says a lot about how dominant Dublin are that a 15-point win isn't considered an absolute blowout. Um, I think watching that game, you, you see normally from Dublin this sort of tsunami in the first 10-15 minutes of the second half where they just blow teams away. It looked like that didn't come against Cavan, but that's only because Dublin didn't score a goal. They were just kind of chipping the points away. And what happened with Cavan, and... Maybe tip as well, which I'll talk about in a second, uh, was that I felt as though Cavan were kind of happy with their season's work. Winning the Ulster title, that's something they can hang their hat on for a long, long time. And so being knocked out of an All-Ireland semi-final wouldn't have been that big a deal to them. But nonetheless, I think they'll look back on this season as a success, even though they didn't really have much to offer Dublin.
1: Yeah, definitely, It definitely will be a huge success to them. Um, I think, I think we did touch on it last week before we had to go off air. That, like, you know, you see with a lot of these teams, it's kind of like they almost peak too soon. Like we said with Cork, um, that win against Kerry was the highlight of the season, and the months they couldn't get it going again for the Munster final. And the same with Calvin, like that. After everything they'd gone through to get to that Ulster final, that was the culmination of the entire season. Um, and then obviously it was Dublin as well in the semi-final, but regardless of who it was, I don't think they would have been able to put up that much of an effort. And I think that's why you said, like, you know, it didn't seem like that Dublin tsunami was ever really going to come, but I don't think it needed to. I think Dublin kind of just cruised along. Um, and I think the same can be said with Tip, the Munster final, the 100 years of play like Sunday, like that Munster final was really the, the peak of it all. Um, they certainly did not rise to the occasion whatsoever against Mayo. Oh,
0: I feel, I feel bad for them. I genuinely do feel bad for Tip because, like we said, like, like we said last week on the show, it felt like that this was actually a, a really competitive final, but or semi-final, excuse me, mm-hmm. because Mayo they didn't. They weren't hugely stylish in winning Connacht. They, they did so pretty effectively. They won the final by about five points or so. But all the buzz was around Tipperary after what they did in Munster. And so, understandably, the idea was what can Tip do to Mayo? And no one was thinking about what could Mayo do to Tip. And um, the, Killian O'Connor happened to tip. He got three six in the first half. I don't know. He ended up with four eight or something by, yeah. by the end of it. But it, I think Tip would have. Um, they would have been fine with losing this match, and I think they would. Would they will be? But I think there's still something that will sting about the manner in which they went out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like it wasn't it wasn't really fitting of kind of their kind of almost somewhat kind of like a miracle run to just be completely blown over. Um, but they weren't necessarily like, they didn't start off too poorly. Like they're those two goal chances saved. And if they always go in, it, it'd be a completely different game, but it's kind of, it kind of was that kind of may have been there before. and They knew exactly what needs to be done. And you could see that with tip once, once, Once they um once the first kind of those when those two goals went in either side and it kind of the game got kind of serious once again, you kind of see Tipperary's inexperience. Um and I think it was I think it was the third goal was I forget which Tipperary player tried to play it nearly back to the keeper, but he completely underhit it and Killian O'Connor just got in and slotted it home and it's small small kind of small kind of mistakes like that is what cost them in the end. But Mayo were like far more aggressive in their pressing and stuff. But I still don't think they were fantastic. Like they didn't have that great of a performance. Tipperary really just crumbled, kind of after that first war break. And even like Kenny O'Connor, as amazing of a scoreline as it is, I think it's somewhat flattering, to be honest.
0: I do agree with you in that. Obviously, Mayo will have to step up their game when going from Tipperary to Dublin. But one thing that did concern me was not just in the first half, but also near the end of the second half, when they took their foot off the gas, was they were letting Tipperary create a lot of goal chances. Um, they were able to finish some of them, but they could have had a lot, lot more. And Dublin will finish those goal chances. they just, It's what they do. But I, I was really impressed with Mayo's... The thing I was most impressed with, in fact, about Mayo was... Uh, their turnover play, and that might it might have something to do with what Tipperary were like. But a lot of Mayo's success in that first half, when they just blitzed them, were coming from turnover ball, putting pressure on the man in possession, and forcing a mistake or a spill. They get up, they get up the ball, get up the field, and get the ball up in the net, and. Dublin, you saw Dublin do that as well against Cavan, so I think it'll be interesting to see if Dublin can implement themselves or excuse me, Mayo can implement themselves as well as they did against Tipperary uh,
1: when they played Dublin in two weeks' time. Yeah, it will be interesting but I mean, it's kind of as well as you've said, it, and it, is, it is an obvious statement but it's going to be like far more of a challenge against a side like Dublin than it was against Tip because I Dublin aren't going to make those same mistakes that Tip made and Dublin have been there time and time again so I don't know but it will be interesting it'll be interesting to see can Mayo kind of keep that intensity that they had early on and can they kind of withstand the Dublin onslaught that will come as well
0: and we'll be previewing that game next week on the show hopefully with some new faces coming on as well or new voices given that this is radio but What we can preview now is arguably the biggest day in the Irish sporting calendar. It's the All-Ireland Hurling Final between Limerick and Waterford set to take place this coming Sunday. And I do feel like this is a similar case to Dublin Mayo in which you've got a team that know how to win and are expected to win against... A team that haven't really been in that same ballpark. Now it's less pronounced, obviously, mm. because Dublin are five in a row, going for six in a row, and um, Mayo's chasing an All Ireland is the stuff of legends at this point. But Waterford really have come out of nowhere, haven't they? Um, they they did get to an All Ireland final three years ago, where they lost to Galway. Actually, had a pretty good first half, but since then they just Became very clearly back of the pack in Munster, consistently finishing bottom of that round robin series, and they just they just found themselves particularly through the qualifiers. They they had a great performance against Cork, which you could you could have written off as a one off. Lost the Munster final, which we'll look at in more detail in a second, because this All Ireland final is actually a replay of the Munster final, and then they really showed what they were made of through their run uh in the All Ireland series and especially in that win over Kilkenny they showed that they can really put scores together against the top teams and not crumble when the when the backlash comes so it's it's a really interesting one to look at now like i said this is a replay from the monster final and that was a game where limerick could could have they they basically held Waterford at arm's length for the entire game. And you felt, oh, Waterford, they could get in if they do this. But realistically, it didn't feel like they were going to happen. But this is a different Waterford now. They, they were coming off a win against Cork um, in the Munster final, which is good, but nothing to write home about. But beating Kilkenny, particularly the way they did, they'll be coming into this one with so much more confidence.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and like I said, like it's completely different team, The one that lost uh, the Munster final, and it's a different setting altogether. Like obviously, um, but yeah, no, they will absolutely be riding their momentum from that win against Kilkenny. The real thing is, if they can keep up the tenacity that they had against Kilkenny, they could seriously give Limerick a good game here because that's that's absolutely what done it for them. Um, uh, against Kilkenny, they that's. That's kind of how they got back into it was just they just hounded them it was kind of like the mayo pressing like they were just all over and they wanted more and you had players like austin gleason and neil montgomery coming up with huge points towards the end to swing in their favor um so that's the real question if they can kind of keep that going then they could be within a chance but limerick Limerick are an incredibly physical side i think you saw that against galway as well they really. They really hit the mare, particularly Joe Canning, and um, but they still—I don't know—they are they are favourites, and it's clear why. But I would be susceptible of you know They didn't really put Galway away like they should have. Like they shouldn't—they they didn't kill the game off in the way they should have. And it will be interesting to see if if they can't do that again, whether or not Waterford have the kind of mouse to take advantage of that.
0: I think also for Waterford, it'll come down to individuals. Stephen Bennett, of course, was immense uh, against, against Kilkenny. Uh, Austin Gleeson as well. Um, Stephen O'Keefe and Goal has been just a stalwart for them. Um, but will, will that effort from individuals be enough against such a solid, tight-knit team like Limerick?
1: On paper, it doesn't look like it will be, but I don't know. You never really know what could happen because I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone could, would have seen, you know, the Kilkenny result happening. Um, but it's a tough one to call really because Limerick are a really well-oiled machine, and once they get going, they're quite difficult to stop. You saw that against Galway. They didn't necessarily start too well, um, but kind of after the first water break, they kind of switched up a gear. Um, but, you know, you're right, it will come down to the individuals. It just depends on how how well those individual performers are.
0: Now, we have some additional insight. We reached out to a former host of this show, Colin McDonnell, who's also a, a proud Waterford native, for his thoughts on how Sunday's final is going to go. And this is what he had to say.
2: Hello, Sean and Sean. Um, head honchos of Action Replay column here. Former, one of the former head honchos of Action Replay. Um, but more importantly, a proud Watford man. I'm actually back in the home county sending this to you now, uh, lads. And I've been asked to give you a little preview or my, my thoughts on this coming Sunday. Um, look, it's great to just be back in an All-Ireland Final again. Obviously, first time since 2017 on that cursed day against Galway. Um, so I'm hoping for a better result than that day, and I won't be crying in the hill this time around. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be—it's obviously going to be an extremely tough game. Limerick have already gotten the better of us in the Munster uh, this year, so the kind of mental advantage is there. Um, but it's definitely possible, I would say, uh, for sure. It'll be an uphill battle, but it's possible. Um, a huge performance is required from some key players, obviously uh, Stephen Bennett, who has just been absolutely immense this year. Um, Hurler of the Year uh, shoe-in if Waterford win this championship, in my opinion. Uh, Caleb Lyons needs to put in another uh, monstrous performance. He's been very great. My own club man, so I'm very proud of that. Um, he didn't have the best Munster final, but other than that, he's been fantastic in that halfback line. So he's going to be very key. Uh Ty de Borka, obviously, Austin Gleason obviously goes that saying, um, Ozzy hasn't had the the best championship. Uh, he's put in some solid performances, some some very nice points as he usually does. Um if he can be at his best, uh, he's gonna give the Limerick defence all kinds of trouble. And uh, I'm hearing whispers that Aaron Galan might be might be injured uh if 50-50, as far as I'm aware at the moment, whether he'll play or not, if he's out. That really opens the door. Um, obviously, he's a man that can do serious damage um, across the field. So if he's out, that'll be huge for Waterford. Um, Limerick's bench depth is is going to be key. Um, if they get a, a performance from two or three of their players that they come off that come off the bench, it's going to be really tough for Waterford to overturn them. But. If, any, if if there's any year where Waterford can win an Orleans championship, it's this mess of a year with COVID. So as bittersweet as it would be to win and not be able to celebrate properly, um, there's always hope. So best of luck to both teams, but especially Waterford in the final. And we'll see what happens on Sunday. Cheers, lads.
0: And thanks to Colin McDonald for sending that in. So Crosby, what do you think? Is it gonna be Limerick again for the second time in three years, or can Waterford spring the upset and win their first All Ireland title in sixty-one years?
1: Um I don't know, Colin's right. If, if there ever is a year for Waterford to do it, it is this year, but I don't I don't see them going all the way. I think I don't know, I think we've seen it in other matches, you know, teams have hit their peak almost and I would w- 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 I would worry that maybe the Kilkenny result was Waterford's kind of shining moment. Um, so for me, I, I think Limerick are going to win on Sunday.
0: Uh, I'm going to have to agree with you, because you can talk about how good Waterford were against Kilkenny, but at the same time, you can't overlook how good Limerick were against a very strong Galway side excuse me against a very strong Galway side and I do kind of agree with you we have seen time and time again teams unable to replicate a big performance we saw it with Cork Tipperary and Cavan and that's just in the football so it is going to be a Limerick win in my view but we'll see what happens on Sunday of course, you can check back here next week where we'll have a full rundown of the game and what happens. And it's sure to be a great show next week here on Action Replay. Uh, I'm going to switch gears now briefly to rugby where uh, the Autumn Nations Cup wrapped up kind of a, a pretty pointless tournament, in fact. Um, Ireland, winners over Scotland, which... Would 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 be expected, but I think now all the focus from an Irish perspective has to turn towards the Six Nations, and I think it'll be really interesting to see now what uh, Andy Farrell does with this outfit because he's brought in a load of new blood for this tournament, and if they can perform in the Six Nations and do really well, that's gonna. Leave me pretty optimistic for the future in terms of having a strong spine of established players and this new blood coming up as well. Yeah,
1: you're right there. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see kind of how they can implement themselves. I think it's uh, the All Nations Cup was kind of it was a, well, it was a difficult kind of um, it's a difficult tournament to kind of get an assessment on a manager and what, how well. You think he's really performed. I don't think it would be fair be fair judgment of him of Andy Farrell's team to base just off of uh that tournament. But game in Scotland they looked a bit more of a comfortable or a bit more of a dominant performance than what we've seen so far in the tournament. So it does it does um give some kind of hope and maybe in the future they can kind of build towards, you know, uh back to kind of what Ireland once were. But we said it last week. I think we we said it in previous weeks anyway that you know the Ireland are currently a team in rebuild, and England are absolutely the standard. And I guess the question I'd ask is, are we close at all? Even if these players kind of do burst through for this for the Six Nations, can we get to that level? Do you think? Or
0: I'm sure we can get to that level because we've been there before, and it's kind of a seesaw thing with England. Sometimes they're better than us. Sometimes we're better than them. But it's going to take a long time, I think, for us to to overturn England. Because while we're probably improving and we will get better, they have scoped to get better too, and they're already at the kind of the peak of their powers almost. Hmm. So it's um, it'll be interesting to see. But uh, of course, the Six Nations will be a very clear indicator, and um, uh, the biggest indicator, I think, of where uh, dominance lies. Uh, in Britain and Ireland is how the makeup of the Lions squad will be next summer if indeed that tour takes place because if it's chock full of English players and uh, there's very little Irish representation, it'll be a clear sign of the way uh, the wind is blowing. But we'll we'll just have to see. Um, Obviously, we're getting some new players in from abroad. The whole United Nations jab from Eddie Jones was very, very funny sarcasm <laughs> uh, but it's it it's a case of time will tell I think, uh, time will tell uh, moving to another uh, sport with an egg shaped ball and this is a debate we were going to have last week but unfortunately our internet choked so we had to just abandon the show uh, not last Thursday, actually not last Thursday but the Thursday before that was Thanksgiving and so there was some American football on and uh, I watched the Dallas Cowboys lose to the Washington football team, which is a name that will never not make me laugh. But there's a very good reason why they have such a stupid name, because they recently ditched an even stupider and quite offensive name, the Washington Redskins. And Redskins is a pretty—it's uh, it, considered at least to be a derogatory term for Native American people. I feel like. Um, to kind of give you a broader idea of how it is try naming the football team the Washington Negroes and see how that goes down it's it's pretty bad so they've ditched the name they their owner Dan Snyder resisted for years but he finally caved under pressure from the most powerful force in sports your team's sponsors uh FedEx I think was 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 the one pushing for it so now they're known as the Washington football team and it it sounds like that name's going to be there for a while until the point where they can find a new mascot but i just wanted to get your thoughts on this because it it's it's is really funny when you're talking about the cowboys the 49ers the football team but it it it's kind of amazing that it took this long for it to happen and kind of shows the power of
1: sponsors is really what matters. Yeah, no, it is it is um it is quite interesting that it, it did take this long. And obviously the sponsors had a massive um part to play, but I think one of another massive kind of factor towards them changing their name, because I think the main, the controversy started in the summer, I think, when during the because i remember during the nba playoffs and obviously this year the nba players did a loss in terms of like protesting and showing solidarity with the black lives matter movement and i think mm-hmm. it was kind of it was a ripple effect of that which i think it's quite amazing to look at obviously you're right like the sponsors have a huge hand in it, but i think it's quite amazing that the power that these the of the sports of the sports and like the what what the basketball players did and kind of how that has had a ripple effect is quite spectacular. But it is it is in, it is kind of mental to think that it took this long for that name to change. And I wonder, like, will other sports teams in America change their names? Because you have in ice hockey, you have the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, in I think it's in baseball. There's two in baseball. I think. One of them is the Cleveland Indians, which I'm not entirely sure how they've gone away with that for so long. Um, especially if you see their mascot, it is just a Native American man with red skin, basically. Um, and then also the Atlanta Braves were called the question, which I didn't realise I think could be some kind of reference to to something Native American. Um, but I think the Cleveland Indians, have, the Braves said they won't change. The Cleveland Indians... I think, are open to it and probably will because that's, I think that one's just as bad as what Washington were called. Um, the Blackhawks said they won't change because apparently the the Chicago Blackhawks are named Blackhawks after a Native American, uh, I think, tribe leader called Blackhawk of Illinois, obviously where uh, Illinois, the state that Chicago is in. So it's kind of to respect that, I think, is what they're saying. And I think they've removed... I think it was part of their fans to wear headdresses to matches and stuff so i think they removed that and they've worked with um native american i think like kind of i don't know if charities is the right word but uh, support groups for kind of the rights of indigenous people so they made an effort but it'll be interesting to see what the washington football team become because i think we both found the vegas odds makers favorite to be the next name
0: yeah, I think you've got that list there. What there was the presidents there was- uh,
1: is. So, the options are for the Washington football team, they could become the Washington Red Wolves, the Washington Red Clouds, the Washington Warriors, the Washington Hogs, the Washington Monuments, the Washington Presidents, or the Washington Americans.
0: I love the name Washington Monuments because obviously it's a play on words, the Washington. Uh, monuments is obviously the big thing, uh, the big spire looking thing in Washington down the road from the White House. Um there's a replica of that in the Phoenix Park. But some of those other ones are kind of unimaginative. The presidents I don't like. The Warriors, it I it's, it's alliteration, but it's it's a bit unimaginative. I was wondering with
1: the Warriors as well. Can like if 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 we were talking about American sports and I said the Warriors, you'd think of Golden State in the NBA. Like, will they become the Washington Warriors? Because there already is a huge franchise called the Warriors. I think Americans might be their best bet, to be honest.
0: Mm, yeah, maybe. But I I, I want to go back to a minute to the other teams, the Indians, the Blackhawks, the Braves. And I'm not so sure that um their names are as much of a problem as the redskins was because the redskin the word redskin was defined in the dictionary as being an offensive word it's not just cultural appropriation i think the problem that the native american community have with um teams like the indians and the braves is it's just it's cultural appropriation they're using their ethnicity as a mascot which i think is a different thing and if the Indians uh, logo is the problem, a guy with red skin, you can just change the logo, I think.
1: Um, you know, I would wonder though, is Indians isn't probably, Indians is what sometimes people refer to Native Americans, which is actually wrong because it's from when Columbus discovered America or he thought he thought he'd he had discovered America, but he thought he discovered India. And so he referred to them as Indians when in fact they're not. I guess an example would be, it's not, as kind of, or probably did not seem as offensive, but if if some American team were called the Paddies, how would Irish people react to that? I guess is what you could say.
0: It's a it's a pretty interesting debate, but it's it's clear that it's not not going to end for a while. At the 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 earliest it could end is when once the the football team find a new name and they, they want to find it fast because at the moment I just can't stop laughing at them. Um, well, you can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can see it on the screen there. We're at DCUFM FM sport and we've got a fancy new logo as well. If you check out our Twitter and Instagram pages, you can see we've got the fancy new artwork. Uh, we, want, we want to thank Lara from the, uh, the media production society for hooking up with hooking us up with those logos and um it's 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 a good look for us moving forward because we're going to be expanding action replay not just fm but also on tv and uh, a blog you'll be able to find all the information for that on our social medias but we're going to turn now to the world of soccer and there's plenty on
1: Oh, there was. Uh, we'll start with the weekend with the Premier League. Um, I suppose the biggest the biggest fixture of the weekend was the North London derby. Um, and it seems like every time we talk about Spurs, we're just saying classic Mourinho. But that's exactly what it is. And he really knows how to play these big games. The game was played exactly how he wanted it. They got those two goals in the first half, particularly that. Actually, to be honest, they I was about to say particularly the Sun goal was... Fantastic, but the Harry Kane goal was incredible as well, like a really fantastic finish. And those two are on fire at the moment. But he had he had them playing, he had Arsenal playing the way he wanted to as well. Um and Arsenal lacked serious creativity, I think. I think Lacazette struggled in that kind of number ten false nine role. Obamyang doesn't look comfortable out in the wing. Um in the second half they looked a bit more there's a bit more to them going forward I thought Saka had a good game but I guess the one thing that I kind of was wondering watching it Arsenal really lacked a creative spark and a killer ball to unlock kind of the low block of Tottenham and the one kind of glaring thing is that Mesut Ozil isn't in their Premier League squad do you he's quite a divisive character in the Premier League but do you think it was wrong of Arteta to leave him out of the squad, or do you think he has no place in the team?
0: On the evidence of what we saw in this game, I think, I mean, hindsight being 20-20, but it was a mistake because Arsenal really did lack that that sharp edge. They wouldn't um, play the incisive passes that they kind of needed to, to really launch a strong attack. You saw... Time and time again, they were just playing it sideways, as opposed to there was there was open space within the Tottenham defense that could have been exploited. But they just not only did they not pass into those spaces, there wasn't anyone there calling for it because I, th- I don't know if they don't have the confidence for it or they don't have the ability. But Ozil is a guy who can unlock defenses with his passing, and yeah, he might be a bit suspect, but. So so is Paul Pogba, and when Pogba is on, he's on. We saw that in the United game against West Ham. That was a motivated Pogba, a Pogba who wanted to do his bit for the team, and his impact was was keenly felt in the second half against West Ham. He scored that beautiful equaliser. So I think uh, if Arsenal are going to dig themselves out of this hole, apparently it's their worst start in about 40 years. They need they need an Ozil. They need a player like an Ozil to, to kind of pull them up.
1: Yeah, no, they absolutely do. And I think to myself, I think it's a bit crazy to leave out a World Cup winner from your squad. But speaking of World Cup winners, and you mentioned there, Paul Pogba scored an absolute worldy for that equalizer against West Ham. Um, it was it's kind of it's a rarity now though to see a motivated Paul Pogba in a Manchester United shirt. He he looked like the Pog with the plays of France. He looked like he wanted to be there. Um but I would say he did have a good game, but I think it was Rashford and particularly Fernandez that really turned that game around for United. It was it's a cliche, but it was a tale of two halves completely. United weren't in it at all in that first half. West Ham's had, had two, to be honest. Bowen missed an absolute sitter for the second. Um but of course it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a weekend in the Premier League, but it wouldn't be a Manchester United game either if we didn't discuss VAR. leading up to the Pogba goal is Dean Henderson who cleared the ball and it curled. I don't know if you saw this. It curled. I did see around, this, yeah. the sideline. Um, and looking at the cameras, it was out of play. And I don't know how VAR did not spot it. Um,
0: well, I'm... I'm not sure that VAR have the power to to reverse decisions like that, what they're allowed to operate with is quite strictly defined. And I think um, they've become a victim of their own rule set because they, they don't look at whether or not um, a ball is over the sideline. I think it's just goals and penalties and red cards and uh, offsides. So yeah. yeah, maybe they'd want to have a look at that. But then again, that could raise the problem of Oh VAR is getting too powerful as if it's not powerful enough already. Um but what I want to know is what was the line? Why wasn't the linesman looking at the ball? He was yeah, looking he, I know he was looking towards the end of the pitch because that's where the ball was going. But as a linesman would you not be keeping your eye on the on the football at all times?
1: I I guess particularly when it's it's coming that close to him. Mm. You'd imagine. But then I get to know maybe the perception. Um the thing with VAR is that it it has in the past like overturned goals, but I guess the question is how far back can it go? And the biggest issue is its inconsistencies. Um but there were there were some positives with VAR this weekend. Um in the Liverpool game, their 4-0 win at home uh in front of 2,000 fans. Uh VAR overturned a penalty decision that was that was given to Wolves, I think it was Connor Cody who dived, so it does it can have its positives um, but uh, yeah, speaking on that game as well, it was a quite a comfortable performance from Liverpool the poor mistake from Cody for that open goal and that's kind of what it seems to take Liverpool for the first 20-25 minutes they kind of they seem a little bit stagnant sometimes and As a neutral, you're there thinking we could actually have a game on our hands here because particularly a team like Wolves will be quite capable of playing some decent football and getting a result. But once they get the first goal, it just completely changes. Um, And Then they went on to add the other three. Uh, But a big talking point as well is Cuevin Keller with his second clean sheet, I believe, uh, as a Liverpool player. Quite positive to see an Irish player doing quite well with the league champions
0: um I'm, I'm not getting too
1: carried away with
0: Kelleher at the moment because he saw um it, it's it's saw Aaron Connolly he did well for Brighton and then he was chucked straight into the starting Irish team and was expected to be our next great savior and I'm not expect I'm not saying Kelleher can't be that but you do have to be wary about building a prospect up too quickly but he did look very good, not just in uh, the league this past weekend, but also in the Champions League last week. And it's good for uh, for Klopp that he has um, he has depth like that because whenever Allison got injured in the past, Liverpool fans must be thinking, "Oh no, Adrian, what are we going to do?" You remember Adrian was partly responsible for Liverpool going out of the Champions League last year to Atletico Madrid so it's good for Liverpool fans to have that number two and if Alisson is going to be out for a sustained period of time I'm not sure he will be but if that does come up then uh, they should feel comfortable that they have a decent pair of hands in Kelleher to keep their title race alive but they're having much more much stiffer competition for their title not just with Tottenham but with Chelsea as well who were very, very good, I thought, against Leeds. Um, They were able to survive an early setback with Bamford scoring again. uh, Ended up taking over the game, winning 3-1. They managed to shake off a ridiculous, comical miss from Timo Werner in the first half and uh, rounded it off with a, a goal for Pulisic, which I thought was good to see because he's had his struggles with injury, And he suddenly finds himself competing quite hard for a place with this influx of of talent that came to Chelsea in the transfer window. But overall, a really, really good performance from Chelsea and another indicator that their title challenge is for real this year.
1: Yeah, no, it definitely is. Um, Yeah, it it was quite a professional performance almost, you know, the early setback and they just turned it around. And particularly for the Pussy, goal, they looked they were a killer on that counterattack. Um, I think they definitely should get top four, but I don't know if they can really mount the challenge to Liverpool and Spurs. I guess the question of Liverpool is can they keep enough players fit and maintain it? But I I um I think if it comes down to it, I I feel like Chelsea might just be too inexperienced this year for it. Uh City will always obviously be. Always in the question. Uh they cruise to the 2-0 win against Fulham. Um but in terms of the title race, I think it will come down to Spurs and Liverpool. I feel like Chelsea, maybe not this year, but if they can keep that squad together and things go well this year, I think maybe next year might be. And I City are just an absolute anomaly, really. Um you never know what you're gonna get. They it's just their defences seem to be all over the place and you kind of, you need a solid foundation to win a league title. Um, but moving on as well then, just to go over the weeks, uh, the midweek games in the Champions League, uh, back with the English teams and back with Manchester United, who, well, after you saw their kind of turnaround performance against West Ham, just an absolute nightmare really against PSG. They looked lethargic, they looked so slow and um, didn't look up for the first 20 minutes and of course VAR calling the question again this time and also Oligon and decision making call into question with the eventual sending off of Fred uh, I think for the first one for the headbutt uh, I think he should have been sent off I know there wasn't much contact but I think he should have been sent off for that I don't know what do you think?
0: Yeah absolutely any motion with the head under the laws of the game you've got to go um, but it does, it puts United in a real bind now, all they needed was was, was a point and not taking away anything from PSG, it was a great performance, but now they find themselves in the unique position of being top of the group and yet there are serious doubts as to whether or not they're going to qualify.
1: Yeah it is, the group has been completely blown wide open um, and another group that is wide open and is quite an interesting watch, is Group B with Borussia Mönchengladbach top. Um, I think Madrid might be third now, I think, or maybe they're second, and Shakhtar third with Inter last. Inter last 2-0 to Madrid, and I think Schachter, both Shakhtar and Mönchengladbach have got results against um, Real Madrid. It's quite interesting to look at Real Madrid post-Ronaldo, and I guess... This will call, it'll call several characters into question. Uh, Eden Hazard, I know he's been injured a lot, but you know, can, ha, can he really fill those boots at all? I think Rafael Varane has been calling the question that a, a what is he, four-time Champions League winner, along with being a World Cup winner, now looks completely out of depth at times. But the biggest person I had the most questions about is Zinedine Zidane. When he came in first with Real Madrid and won... It was it was a it was three in a row he won the Champions League. People were lauding him as one of the greatest managers of all time, but I kind of saw it as he has inherited one of the best teams of our generation, all in the peak of their career. To be honest, nearly as long as they liked him and they would have because he's a former Real Madrid legend. As long as they respected the manager, anyone could have won there, and I think. He his kind of managerial credentials are now being called into question. I know he's he did win the league last year, but I would wonder, do you think he's really always cracked up to be his manager?
0: <sighs> That's a really tough one. Um I don't think he's a bad manager. That's yeah. I mean, to be. To be saying that about a three-time Champions League winner—that's damning with faint praise. But their their decline has been notable uh, ever since Ronaldo left. But you got to remember that Zidane left around that time too. Um, he's he's come back since, but I think he need he needed a bit of time to kind of put things back together without Ronaldo, and. Yeah, it it's, it is taking a long time. It's taken longer than I thought it would, but um, he's not doing a bad job. I think. I think the the thing, problem is is that simply other teams have gotten better, whereas Real Madrid have undoubtedly been weakened. So it's more competitive than it was when they were just steamrolling all and sundry in the Champions League. So I think it's a combination of factors that have Real Madrid in the situation that they're in. But um I would still expect them to go through because I think they recognize the predicament they're in now and I think that they'll be able to to dig themselves out of the hole, get them get just get in the last sixteen, and they'll they'll go from there. They'll they'll see what's up from there.
1: Yeah, I think I think regardless, it's hard. It really is quite hard to um to write off a Real Madrid side. But um, just the other top point from that group. Um, I actually have it here: Munchen Gladbach sit first with eight points, Shakhtar second on seven, and Real Madrid third on seven. Um, Shakhtar of minus seven goal difference, Madrid of zero. But of course, in the Champions League, it's done on head to head. Not yeah. sure uh, goal difference, but Mönchengladbach, are just kind of almost coming out of nowhere there every now and again it seems like there is a team and a lot of the time they've been German That this young kind of vibrant team will come out of the blocks and just blow everyone away we had Ajax uh we had like two years ago we had Monaco a Few years before that I think and then I think I think it was 2013 I think everyone really fell in love with was basically become nearly everyone's second European team in Borussia Dortmund um But their manager at the moment is Marco Rose, who kind of has come out of the shadow. I think the manager before him is the current Dormen manager, Julian Um, But he's stepped out of his shadow because he left a huge uh, impact. He's come out of the shadows and has really made this into quite a solid team. There's some uh, exciting players there, like Max Thram, son of Lillian Thram, players like that. I think they'll um, they'll be an interesting effort to watch. And I would quite like to see them go through because I think they could really... They, they could just be that team again, the kind of underdog that everyone roots for. Um But that's pretty much all your soccer news from the past week. No, it's not. No, it's yeah. not. Because how could we forget? How on earth
0: could we forget? Well, it's a busy, busy week, but we got a Manchester derby coming up this weekend. United versus City. And the Derby has become much, much more competitive than it has been in times past or it's perceived to be in times past because everyone has City down as a much better team from United. But United and City played each other four times last season and United won three of them. And given that United and City, neither of them have been too consistent this year, it's it's shaping up to be a really
1: fascinating game on Saturday. It is, yeah. Um it will be interesting. And like you said, like City are on paper, they are a far better side. Plus, you said yourself that they you United won three of the last four um from last year. But that's the kind of thing. It's the thing with Pep City is those big games and his tendency to kind of overthink it. Um coupled with the fact that this my United team, for all their inconsistencies, seem to come good in big games particularly when Solskjaer is under pressure and I don't think he's been under any more pressure than he has right now with the chance of dropping out of the Champions League and kind of they're they're just the most hit and miss hot and cold kind of team so it will be interesting neither side particularly adept at uh, defending it'll come down to the quality of the finishing um And I think maybe in terms of consistency, City might just edge it. I think Anthony Martial is a player who he really kind of the quintessential French footballer. If things don't go right for the first five minutes, the man's out. He checks out completely. Um, Max Rashford is, despite actually being on really good form this year, I still find to be an inconsistent finisher. And particularly when he's you're on hit, hit teams on the break, which is their only kind of source of attacking, and I think you already saw that against PSG. Uh, His decision-making isn't the best, but it all falls on Bruno Fernandes. Whether or not he's up for it and whether or not he can get it going dictates United's results. He was poor against PSG, um, and then the team were poor, and then he completely changed the game for for them against West Ham. So that's what's going to happen with them. With City, I don't know. Kevin De Bruyne hasn't been the most consistent this year, but I think... I think that that whole saying of kind of form is temporary, uh, class is permanent could come through here because I mean, it's Kevin De Bruyne, you can't ride him off. And the likes of Sterling and Gabriel Jesus against quite a slow, particularly in the center, central areas, quite a slow and unstructured United defense. I think City could just edge it, but then it's a diary and kind of form will just completely go out the window,
0: yeah. And the... Uh... Dynamic could have completely changed by midweek, by the time uh, the Champions League is done and dust. And, and you know, we'll see how what sort of shape United and City are in after that. Uh, just the last thing we'll touch on here on Action Replay, um, Anthony Joshua is back in action this weekend, defending his world titles against Kubrat Pulev. And I think the fact that he lost last year to Andy Ruiz Jr. in a fight that he was absolutely not supposed to lose... It's kind of been a marketed goldmine for Sky Sports in that they can promote Anthony Joshua's fights now as anything can happen because anything most certainly did happen last year. And he's fighting uh, Kubrat Pulev, a veteran whose only loss is to Klitschko. Uh, he's kind of the same as Alexander Povetkin was in uh, 2018, gave Joshua a very tough fight early on, but Joshua started to slowly turn the tables and then connected with that big right to um, to mark the beginning of the end and put Pavetkin away. And I feel as though he's going to do the same thing to Pulev. It's not going to be easy for him, but he's going to get it done, I think. And then, hopefully, for boxing fans, he'll start moving towards that fight with Tyson Fury, which... I don't know about you but that could be the biggest fight that British British boxing has ever seen.
1: Yeah, it absolutely would be. I think really I think it, um, it's um kind of the perfect setup almost. It's kind of it's almost like wrestling characters nearly like they're kind of nearly on opposite spectrums like like Anthony Joshua is kind of, you know, Mr. Boxing he's the face of it all. He's kind of this pristine, clean kind of Professional fire and Tyson Fury is kind of, you know, the man of the people kind of character. Um, that's absolutely the fight everyone wants to see. And I think, uh, I you're right though that it was um the Ruiz loss is a great benefit to Sky because he's not now just this unbeatable force. Like you said, genuinely anything could happen, so everything is worth watching. But I do think he'll get through it. Comfort, i would imagine you get through it but um and, and really it's all just a setup up that massive fight against fury which i think is what everyone wants to see yeah they actually put footage of fury
0: into the uh into the promotional material for this and uh, josh was talking about the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow so it's, it is a stepping stone but it's a stone that could give way underneath him if he's not too careful so that'll do it for this episode of action replay we'll be back next week we'll be reviewing everything we've talked about champions league premier league the boxing the all Ireland hurling final of course and uh, we'll be looking ahead to the the all Ireland football final as well as a busy christmas period in the premier league uh and hopefully we'll have some new faces in to action replay they're they're always welcome uh to join myself, Sean Breslin, and my partner Sean Crosby, as ever, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks very much, family. You can
0: follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DCUFM Sport, and we will see you same time next week.